Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth, Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Let's see here. Uh, it's Sunday. It's the 17th of September. It's time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. And um, I guess I should start out by thanking everybody that uh, was praying because we had people. I, I got so many. You know, I said, please don't send any emails. And I probably got 400 emails, but they were all very short. And they all said, we're praying for you. We hope you'll be okay. And I want to thank everybody for that. I really do. And then I want to say that um, it was a long long week. I'm exceedingly tired. I know a few other people here have been doing physical work. It's hot out there. It's been a very long week. So I would ask again this time, you don't need to send me an email to pray. Um, Hold off on any emails for maybe 7 to 14 days because we've got a lot of cleanup to do. I take care of five properties. And um, uh, so anyway, there you go. I I so much appreciate those emails of prayers. And uh, afterward, when I came back online, more people were saying we're so thankful the church is okay and there everybody's been praying for you guys and this is really really appreciated so thank you all so much and um little uh, status on the hurricane we have several people in the church that still do not have power so this is six going on seven days without power and uh it's nine, it, it, nine for you <laughs> nine for you so it, it's hot it's uh, it's miserable, but uh, nobody was hurt. Nobody was hurt at all. Everything is uh, fine. We had a lot of trees down and things like that, but no real major damage on houses. Um, at my house, I had a little damage because a tree fell on the house, and it was a rather big tree, and um, it hit the chimney. Yes, we have chimneys in Florida, and it damaged that, so I will have to fix that. But before that happened, I had to get up on the roof um, I was probably the first person back on Siesta Key on Monday morning, or maybe the second. There was a, a truck pulling up uh, uh, in front of me, but uh, the cop had just left that was blocking access to the key. And um, I uh, stopped first at the mall that I take care of because I didn't want anybody getting hurt with branches falling on them. And I got up in the tree and cut down some major branches that were uh, uh, down. And then after that, I got them out of the way. I went to the house and saw you know two trees on the house, but one of them was rather large. And uh, so I got out the ladder and went up on the roof, and it's a two-story house. So I was up there working, and um, I uh, do what I always do is I'm cutting branches. And um, uh, when you have a pile of branches on the roof, which is an A-frame, you kind of have to kick them off. And I was kicking them off, and as I always do, I'm hanging onto branches so that I uh, uh, you know, don't fall. I keep my balance, and I grabbed a hurricane branch, and I fell all the way down. Um, two stories, actually it's three stories because you're up there. And I, I, as I was coming down, just before I hit, there was a branch that I'd thrown off earlier that was sitting up and it caught me right here on the arm. And I got this great big greenish black and blue bruise, which is kind of fun. But that threw me off just enough where I landed first on my left side and I sprained my right ankle and I jarred my, my left ankle and my left knee and I twisted my wrist, which is still really bothering me. And then I, I did the fastest Vietnamese squat in the history of the universe. I was right down there. And uh, when I did, my teeth clamped so hard that I thought I broke out all of my teeth. You know, so it's like 25-foot fall. And 
so I did that, and then my head went back, and I got um, uh, what do you call it? Whiplash, and that that's the worst part. I'm really suffering with that, and my lower back, which has always been a problem, is bad too. But this is the worst here. But I obviously went down to the ground, and I lay there for at least ten to fifteen minutes, and then I realized nobody's out on the island. It's just, and Hidako's not going to be home until eight or nine o'clock. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I got to get up. So no cell phone. That's not going to happen. But uh, yeah, I started feeling my fingers and I started, you know, I, I checked and I, I couldn't believe my teeth were in my head. I checked them all and they're all there. Um, and then I started moving my legs and I realized I'm okay. I couldn't believe it because you know, when you get hit like that, there's so much shock, you can't feel anything. So, um, then I had a problem is I had to get another ladder because the first ladder I pulled up onto the first floor so I could get up to the second floor. So I found another ladder and I went back up and I finished all the work cleaning the house and uh, getting the tree off of there. So it was a fun Monday. It was it was a very fun Monday. I've been suffering with it all week while doing these other five properties. And uh, so don't mean to bore you with that, but that was my excitement. And uh, I. Yes. Well, yeah, the yes. Lord the Lord took care of me. And as Bob likes to remind us, if you're breathing, the Lord has a reason for you. So um, I, I am breathing. But surprisingly enough, one person died in the Andrew uh, Irma cleanup uh, when he cut himself with a chainsaw. And I was using a chainsaw on the roof. And then a second person died by falling off of a 20-foot ladder. And so um, we have, uh, I was doing both of those things, and apparently the Lord still wants me here. But and they, yeah, no, no shoes for me. Anyway, so um, let's see here. They what? Uh, well, no, actually what happened is the angel, he moved out of the way because he didn't want to get squashed. But as I was going down, I was flapping. The, the, and I know it slowed me down just enough. There was just enough wind resistance so that, I, you know, doing that with the chainsaw is a little hard. But anyway, um, yeah, so. No, I had put the chainsaw down. I was kidding. No, I, I had just put the chainsaw down. It was kicking those things off. So she's over here freaking out. Anyway, um, okay, so a couple more things and we'll get into the prophecy update. Um, we started the two Thessalonians um, book study on Tuesday. I didn't announce it on Sunday because um, I didn't even think of it while I was sitting in the house doing the last prophecy update. But 2 Thessalonians, if you want to know what is being spoken of in 2 Thessalonians, especially chapter 2, concerning the sequence of events of the rapture, of the tribulation period, of the unveiling or revealing of the Antichrist, all of those things are detailed in 2 Thessalonians 2. So if you start right now, it's 47 verses long, I believe. You'll be done in less than a month with two Thessalonians. You'll have a complete study. Go to the Superior Word website and click on Today, and that will bring that up. Or if you want to start from the beginning, just go back to um, uh, Writings, Epistles, two Thessalonians, and then read the last two or three that I posted, and then you can follow along with that each day. Um, there is so much confusion about the rapture. There is so much confusion about the unveiling or the revealing of the Antichrist. When is that going to be? When is the tribulation period? Paul gives us the outline. It is there, and I can assure you two things. It is a pre-tribulation rapture and that the Antichrist will be revealed after the rapture. Okay, There's no doubt about that. If you follow this properly, just take Paul's words in context and follow them properly, you will see these things, okay? Um, don't send me an email why I'm wrong, okay? I don't want to hear that because I have done the study. It is uh, being done again for you so that you can see this. Um, tribulation period is seven years long. 
there is an end to the tribulation period, and then we will enter into the millennium. All of these things are very clear in Scripture, and people confuse them. Why? The main reason is because they mix dispensations. And so today we are going to be doing our prophecy update on dispensations. And the reason why we're doing this is because it takes me approximately 40 hours to put together a prophecy update. I have had no time this week at all. I have been working from 4 a.m. until usually 6 or 7 at night every single day, hauling branches, cutting down trees, taking care of the properties that uh, I take care of, and doing all of my other regular jobs as well. And so I've had no time to do a regular update. I hope you'll enjoy today's update. I really do. And as a matter of fact, I hope you'll enjoy it so much that I hope that you will share it with somebody. And I never ask people to share anything. But I am going to outline dispensations for you so you understand why things work the way they do. If it's a little long, I'm sorry. If it's short, I'm just going to do it off the top of my head and we'll be done. And then we'll get into our regular uh, sermon as well. But before I get into dispensations, one more thing. Um, Jim opened us today and he read an article. And I didn't know that he was going to read that until yesterday, but I saw the article about four days ago and I posted it on my website and several people have uh, reposted it. It's from The American Thinker, one of the greatest um, online magazines in America today. If you're a thinker, you want to read this um, magazine. And somebody did an article in that particular um, magazine that is entitled Fake News and the Death of Christianity. The uh, article is written by Mike Conrad. Okay, And um, the reason why I'm highlighting this for you is because he mentions the superior word in there. He, as a matter of fact, he doesn't just mention it. He highlights it for about three and a half paragraphs. Uh, he talks about um, uh, why Christianity is not dying away the, in the way that the mainstream media speaks of. And if you don't want to read the article, if you just want to listen to it read, Jim read it before we opened, and I will be posting that as our opening comments today. But I would recommend everybody read that fake news and the death of Christianity article. He mentions um, Jonathan Kahn's ministry and other messianic uh, ministries. Then he talks about evangelical Christians where he highlights us and then he gets into um, somebody that he knows in the Calvary Chapel Church. It's a very good article and I was honored. I was honored when I saw this. So it it really means a lot to me that this person did that. But having said that, we're going to get into um, dispensations now and we're going to do it right from the Bible or just from my head. One of those two places and we're going to do it on the blackboard. So I hope that this will be something that will bless you as a prophecy update today. Put this up on the wall. Just I got some notes here that I made just to kind of keep me on track as well. Let me put that right there and then I'm going to make some noise there. I'm going to wipe off. This is our eraser here. A little towel we've been using for years and years and years and it seems to work pretty well so and while I'm erasing that I probably better keep that because I'm bound to make a mess with the way I do things while I'm uh, over here and if you're watching on the prophecy update then uh, I want you to know that today's sermon is Leviticus 14 33 through 57 it's entitled leprosy in the house and uh, if you watch the prophecy updates and you don't watch the sermons Shame on you. Watch the sermon. Okay? Um, This one happens to be something that, and I'll mention this during the sermon, is that uh, uh, something that I wrote an article on years and years ago about the symbolism here, and now we've uh, reached this particular uh, section of Leviticus, and we'll be doing it again today. And if you notice, chapter 14 
is two chapters before chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. So we're getting very close to the Day of Atonement. If you watch the Prophecy Updates and you do not watch the Day of Atonement sermons, then don't watch the Prophecy Updates anymore, okay? Because that is the highlight of the Old Testament Torah, okay? And that is, if you have a misunderstanding of what's going on in the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, then your prophecy is already messed up. I can tell you that. I can guarantee you that. So, please watch the uh, Leviticus 16 sermons and all of the sermons, starting with today, okay? Leviticus 14, 33 through 57. Anyway, here we go. Dispensations. I'm going to read you something before I actually get into that. Paul mentions the word dispensation in the New Testament. Um, he uses the word twice, but it's not really in the context of what we would call dispensationalism. Dispensationalism is an, uh, uh, an outworking of how God is uh, doing things in redemptive history, and we're going to see that in just a minute. But I want to read you uh, Genesis chapter 9, okay? And uh, there's a reason why I'm doing this, is because what is the dispensation that we are in right now? Does anybody know what it is? Church. It's the church age, also known as the age of... Grace, thank you. It's the age of grace. Um, in Genesis chapter 9, in verses 25 through 27, we read this. Well, I'm going to start with 24. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So he's given Shem the spiritual blessing, the preeminent blessing. And then he says, may God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. What does that mean? What does it mean, dwelling in the tents of Shem? And may Canaan be his servant. So we've got something all the way back in Genesis 9, which, believe it or not, establishes the entire pattern of redemptive history as it is outlined in the Bible. And in fact, this book is based on that structure which he gave in that prophecy right there. Um, may Jake, Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. What is that, and how does that fit into the structure of the Bible? This book actually follows the dispensational model as it's outlined. Okay, So here's what we have. We've got um, a certain number of dispensations. Um, <coughs> there are seven of them that we call dispensations, and there are a couple of inserts in, actually one particular insert into the seven dispensations, which is not a dispensation. It's something unique, which is a part of a previous dispensation. We'll get to that in a second, but does, can anybody tell me what the first dispensation is? Innocence. innocence. Okay, so we have innocence. I and, and if you're at home, you can write these things down because I'm going to be deleting them uh, or wiping them out and going on to other things. I-N-N-O-N-O-C-E-N-C-E. -N -N -E. Okay, so we have innocence is the first. All right, that is in um, uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> They are in a state of innocence. They don't have the knowledge of good and evil. When you have a dispensation, there is always something that occurs to end that dispensation. It's usually catastrophic, and then you enter into a new dispensation. Okay? If you don't follow the dispensation... Let me ask you before I get into this. Does anybody here believe that the church did not replace Israel? In other words, did the church replace Israel? No, they did not. If you believe that the church did not replace Israel, then you are by fault, default a dispensationalist. 
if you believe that the church did replace Israel, then you're not a dispensationalist. You are a covenantal theologian or whatever, okay? But you're wrong, but the church did not replace Israel. So if you believe that, then you are by default a dispensationalist. And there are se several different types of dispensationalism uh, uh, theologies. I'm going with the standard one. It's seven dispensations of man. Each one of them is given for a purpose, and they all come together for a specific purpose. The per first one is innocence, okay? There was a law in the um, dispensation of innocence. What was it? You shall not eat of the fruit of good and evil. If you eat it, then you will surely die, okay? And they, they were given that, and then after that, there was the eating of the fruit, there was disobedience, and there was judgment. The judgment was expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Now, if you want to know where that's recorded, it's in Genesis 2.16. Let me read you that very quickly. I mean, the whole Genesis account is very short. That dispensation probably lasted about 32 seconds, knowing the wickedness of the human heart. But in Genesis 2.16, it says, um, I'll go back to 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the knowledge of uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Okay, here's a question before I go on. Did Adam die when he ate the fruit? No. No, no he did not. He lived to be 930 years old. Is God a liar? No. No. We cannot use the excuse that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Adam didn't know that. All he knew is that on the day he ate of that fruit, he would die. Therefore, it is speaking of spiritual death. Adam died spiritually, but not physically. That is inherited by all people. You are born dead. You're born physically alive. You are born spiritually dead. And that is the truth that goes all the way through the Bible. You are born in a state of condemnation. You're not born in a state of salvation. Our default position is spiritually dead, condemned. Okay? Now, uh, uh, if you don't believe that, just go read John 3.18. Everybody knows John 3.16. Go read John 3.18. As a matter of fact, let's read it really quickly. I don't know how long this is going to go, but um, uh, we'll, we'll try to not be too lengthy in our uh, comments today. But anyway, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him, uh, whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, John 3.18, which nobody seems to know, is he who believes in him, meaning Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Default position is spiritually dead, condemned already. Our default position is the lake of fire, okay? Nothing can change that. That's also confirmed in the 51st Psalm. I was conceived in sin and uh, iniquity. My mother uh, conceived me, something like that. I'm misquoting it, but it's uh, Psalm 51, verse 7. Go read that. Okay, so innocence, Genesis 2.16. If you want a corresponding passage for that, you can go to uh, um, Romans 5, verse 12, and that'll, uh, get, let me read that to you. I might as well try to get these until I uh, start running out of some type of time. Romans 5, and verse 12 says the following. This is the innocence, okay? Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Adam sinned, we all sinned in Adam. It's done. We're condemned. Okay, everybody understand that? There is one way to get out of this pit, and it is not through works. It is through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, every one of these dispensations that we're going through, I'll try to remember to say this again, every one of them is by grace, through faith. 
There is no salvation in works. And anybody that says that the law is works plus grace or anything, there's no such thing as works plus grace. There's no such thing. Either you're saved by grace or you're saved by works, and you can't have the two. Grace means unmerited favor. If you're doing anything to receive God's favor, then it is not of works. It's always a faith. Adam fell. They're um, uh, going to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But what did the Lord do to Adam before he uh, kicked him out of the Garden? He clothed him. He covered him. It's a picture of being covered in the righteousness of Christ. He made skins and he covered them. Why did he do that? Because the sentence before that says that Adam named his wife Eve, Chava. Okay? What does that have to do with being covered? It's because Chava means life. She's the mother of all the living. And because he did that, he demonstrated faith that the promise of God was true, that a redeemer would come, Genesis 3.15, and God said, I'm rewarding you for your faith. And that's such a pattern all the way through the Bible. It is by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of works. Adam did nothing, and yet he was covered, okay? So, taken care of. We get to the next um, dispensation. We'll go on. What is the second dispensation? Conscience. Conscience. Okay, C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-C-E. Conscience is the next dispensation. They now have a conscience. The man knows to do right and wrong. Okay, that's in Genesis 3. Let me take you there. Genesis 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, let's kick him out of the Garden of Eden. And so he did. Okay, tree of life, just so we know now, so we don't have to wait. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? Tree of life is Christ. Everything in this book points to Jesus Christ. He is the tree of life. He is where we get our eternal salvation. But that was withheld from him at this time. Okay, that's conscience. That's Genesis 3.22. And a corresponding passage is from Romans chapter 2, where it says this. Hang on a second. Romans, this is the age of conscience, Romans chapter 2. Let's see here. It says in verse uh, 15... I'll go back one verse so you get a little bit of context. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts and their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Everybody's got a conscience, and this is what is being spoken up here. God gave man a conscience. He didn't give him any other laws than that. Let's see how you do in this dispensation, because you did pretty poorly in the first one, didn't you? So we get into conscience. And what happens? Man, by Genesis chapter 6, does what? He becomes so wicked by Genesis chapter 6 that there is no remedy, and the Lord destroys the world by flood. That's the second cataclysm. You've got a cataclysm of being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You've got a second cataclysm, which is the flood of Noah. The world is destroyed, okay? So, that's the ending of the second uh, uh, dispensation. So you have innocence, you have conscience. Then you have a third dispensation which comes in. What is that? Very good. <laughs> government. <laughs> government. Man is now given government authority, okay? So we have the dispensation of government, and that is given to Noah in Genesis 9. Okay, right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 9, he says these words to him in verses 1 and 2. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and all the flesh of the sea, they are given into your hands. And then he goes down and he gives them a few things. You know, if you shed blood, by man's uh, blood shall your blood be shed, etc. He gives them these, these guidelines, but they are given authority over the earth with a state of conscience, but given governmental authority over all things on the earth. Okay, that's the state of the world at that time. All right, a corresponding passage from that is in Romans chapter 13, where it says the following. Okay, hang on a second here. It says, um, I'm in 15. That doesn't help. You've got to be in the right chapter. Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. He goes on down through verse 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you get the idea. We are given governmental authority in the world. Man has got control over other men, over nations, etc., etc. This is the dispensation of government. What happened? What was the cataclysm that ended the dispensation, it didn't really end it, it's just there was a cataclysm where a new dispensation was introduced. It's called the Tower of Babel. Man, by works, making bricks, right? Remember the word Levana, bricks? He's, uh, he's making bricks, which are, God makes stones. Guess what? We're going to see that in this sermon today. Watch this sermon. If you want to know about uh, leprosy in the house, it mentions stones, it never mentions bricks. Little point for you there. Okay, so, man is making bricks and he's working his way up to heaven. This is also a picture of global warming of today. That which has been will be again. That which has been done will be done again. God promised to never flood the world by, uh, uh, by water again, destroy the world by flood. And what did they do? They went out in the plain of Shinar and they said, we can't trust God. We're going to build a tower up to the heavens so we'll be secure above the flood waters, right? So it's, it's global warming. It's not trusting God. It's also working your way to heaven by bricks. All of this is being pictured in here. It's a, it's a much longer study. Go watch the sermon. I did it eons ago. It's on uh, YouTube. But the dispensation of government is still ongoing, and we'll see that in a few minutes. But the cataclysm which led to the next one is the Tower of Babel. The tongues are divided. The lips are separated, and the people go out throughout the world. Okay, So that leads us into the next dispensation. Not now. Um, that leads us to the next. Go ahead. What ended conscience? Conscience, that was um, uh, the flood. Flood. Yeah, Yeah. okay. So, um, don't get me off of my thoughts today because I'm doing this off the top of my head here. Anyway, um, uh, government, so that leads us into the next dispensation. Anybody? Guy named Avraham? Begins with a P and ends with a Ramos? Yeah, that's right, promise. There you go. Okay, so you've got the dispensation of promise. This is introduced here, but guess what? Government is still ongoing, and I'll show you this in a few minutes, but all of a sudden there's an introduction of promise. God says to Abraham, I'm going to do something by you, and he takes him outside in Genesis 15, and uh, he asks him to uh, do something in particular. But the promise first comes in Genesis chapter 12. So we'll go there first. Whoops, I'm in Exodus. Got to be in the right book there, Charlie. Um, Genesis chapter 12 says, um, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out from your country, from your family, and from your father's house, and I will show you uh, to a land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, 
all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Once again, pointing to Christ, but this is the dispensation of promise, and it has a corresponding verse again in the book of Romans, which is Romans chapter 11. And if you go there, it's in uh, verse 29. It says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He made a promise to Abraham. If that promise was to be revoked in any way, it wouldn't be the God of the Bible, would it? This is an everlasting promise, and it also includes people, guess what, in the age we're in right now. We're sons of Abraham through faith. We're not sons of Israel. We didn't replace Israel. Israel is Israel. Paul never mixes Gentiles and Israel, or Gentiles and Jews. When, when people say there is now no distinction between Jew and Gentile, it implies that there is a difference. There might not be any distinction in Christ. We are all one, Jew and Gentile. But when he says there is now no distinction between Jew and Gentile, it means that there is still Jew and Gentile. Let me give you an example so this will help you understand. If I say there is now no distinction between male and female in Christ, you are male in Christ and you are female in Christ and you have the same blessing of Christ, right? Do women stop being women? Unless you're LGBT friendly. (laughs) No, they stay women and men are men. Jews are Jews and Gentiles are Gentiles. You get that mixed up, all of a sudden you're not a dispensationalist anymore, you're a replacement theologian, and we're Israel. Okay, that's why you sing these songs about, oh, we're Israel, and, you know, God's promises to us, and it's crazy. Okay, (laughs) no distinction between Jew and Gentile does not mean that there is not Jew and Gentile, it means that there is. Okay, so, um, the gifts and the calling of uh, God are irrevocable, and this has a ending of a sort. Okay, now the promise never ends, but it has an ending of a sort where a new dispensation comes in, and that is the exile, or not the exile, but the move down to Egypt. They go down to Egypt and they're for, there for 200 years. The promise still stands, but this is the ending of what we would consider the dispensation of promise in and of itself without another dispensation coming in. So just so you know, the promise stands, it continues, and I'll show you that when we're doing it on the board here in a couple minutes, but this is kind of the ending of what we would consider that dispensation in preparation for another one. The next dispensation comes along, and it is the dispensation of what? That's right, you guys are great. The dispensation of the law. Who is the lawgiver? Moses, he who draws out. He draws out God's laws, okay? So this is, uh, he's the lawgiver. This is, um, you could find a million possible verses to um, stand for the law, okay? One or another, another. But um, Leviticus 18 verse, um, is it 15 or is it, it's eight, Leviticus 18 verse 5. I said, I don't think that's, yeah, that's it. Uh, Leviticus 18.5, this is one I quoted in almost every sermon that we've been in. It says, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them, right? Has anybody under the law lived forever? Nobody. Not one person ever under the law of Moses has lived forever. But the implication is that if you do the things of this law, you will live. Living is not dying, and therefore You're not going to die if you do the things of the law. And yet, right at the inception of the law of Moses, Aaron failed, his sons died. It was hopeless from the very beginning. And as I said during that particular sermon, if Moses understood Aaron's words, he would have sat down in front of the Lord, broken down into tears, and said, just take me now, Lord. This law can do deadly. All it can do is highlight my sin. That's all it can do is condemn me further. That is the purpose of the law, is to once again lead us to Christ, to show us something else. 
Okay, so the dispensation of the law is entered. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 will give us a, a New Testament corresponding set of verses. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 say, um, let's see here. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, right? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. Therefore, by deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is knowledge of sin. God didn't have to give him the law. He could have said, you can eat of any tree of the Garden of Eden except the one that smells like durian, right? He picked a particular tree, and that one was the law. He could have not had any law, and they would have lived forever. He gave them a law. By the law is the knowledge of sin. They ate of it, and they realized they were naked. This goes on in the law. 613 laws. You break them, you're condemned. You break one, and you've broken the entire law. It is a law of death not of life. People that are in the Hebrew Roots movement that think that they are pleasing God by observing this law of Moses are condemning themselves. That's all they're doing. They're trying to earn their way to heaven saying that the cross of Jesus Christ was insufficient for my salvation. That is heresy. You are to stay away from that type of thing. Do not fall into the the Hebrew Roots movement which says that you need to observe the Sabbath, that you need to do this and that. All of the Nine Ten Commandments are mentioned again in the New Testament, except one, the Sabbath. It says specifically in Hebrews 4, verse 3, now we who believe do enter that rest. And he went through chapter after chapter of explaining the rest. What is the rest? It's Christ. We who believe enter Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. I'm not going to get into it long one. Stay away from the law of Moses except to learn from the law of Moses that you need Jesus. You need grace, okay? We'll stop with the law for right now. We'll be back to it in a few minutes. But the ending event of the law of Moses before I go on was what? Calamity upon calamity. Twice it happened. Once to Babylon, once by the Romans. Exile. Okay? Now, there is something coming within the law. Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27 is something unique to the law, which will be observed in the seven years of tribulation. We'll get to that. I just want to show, say that there is something about the law that we need to remember right now. Okay, then we come into one more dispensation, which is where we are now. Said it already. Grace. Grace, grace. the dispensation of grace. Uh, if you want a good verse from the uh, Bible to give you the dispensation of grace, read the Bible. Because the whole Bible is about grace, every single word of it, okay? But I will give you a New Testament, very simple uh, verse for you to understand grace. It's in the book of John. It's in chapter 1. Just yeah, I, All you need to do is just read your Bible, and you'll understand that God wants to bestow grace upon you. But here we go. For, this is verse 17 of chapter 1. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, okay? That is what we're, everything is pointing to that in our current dispensation, the grace of God. You know what the Bible ends on? Revelation 22, verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then one more, and that's it. The Bible ends. I don't understand how people can say, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this, and they keep doing it and doing it and doing it. There's no satisfaction in this except condemnation. If you're satisfied with building a diving board into the lake of fire, keep it up. 
Otherwise, trust in the grace of Jesus Christ and live the holy life that he has empowered you to live. Put aside deeds of the law, okay? Then we have a final dispensation. Grace ends how? Rapture, rapture of the church and the apostasy of those left behind. Grace, okay, we have one more um, uh, dispensation. Millennium. Uh, I'm probably going to spell it wrong. Just bear with me. The millennium. Okay, it's a thousand years of Christ. It is uh, something that uh, is mentioned six times. I think it's in chapter 20 of Revelation. And um, it, uh, where is it in the Old Testament? Anybody know where the millennium's mentioned in the Old Testament? Besides everywhere? Because it's pretty much everywhere. But we could go to Isaiah chapter 9 and we could read uh, Psalms, Isaiah, and go there really quickly. This is a good one here. Isaiah chapter 9. It makes me cry when I read it. I preached on it a couple years ago, this passage, and I didn't do a very good job, did I? I was blubbering through the whole sermon. <laughs> yeah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Has that happened in the world today? No, it's coming soon to a dispensation near you, though. Okay? And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That is the dispensation of the millennium, okay? And as I said, it's in Revelation chapter 20. Let me take you there really quickly and uh, uh, read you that. And I don't know how long we are, so if we're getting long, I'm sorry, but we've, we've got to get through this because people are so very confused about um, dispensationalism. You get it wrong, everything is wrong. So we have um, a thousand years, it says in uh, chapter 2, and then it says a thousand years um, in, uh, it says it six times in just a couple chapters, but the dead did not uh, live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection in verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a Five years? A thousand years. That's right, okay? So that is the, that is the um, dispensation known as the millennium. A thousand-year reign of Christ, it is literal. It is said six times for a reason. If it's said it once, well, we can spiritualize that. If it's said twice, well, we can allegorize that. But if it says it six times, I think the Lord wants you to know that he is really going to sit on the throne for a thousand years. And there's a reason. There's a re Let me stop right there. I'm going to tell you something about dispensationalism. You're going to see this a lot. I, somebody sent me this a couple days ago, I get it all the time. John Darby was a heretic, and he was a bad guy, and they get into, it's known as a source fallacy. You attack the person that has a doctrine. And they say, John Darby was the founder or the one who invented dispensationalism, okay? He invented the rapture, okay? Oh, yeah. That is a fallacy, yeah. okay? Because it doesn't matter what type of person he was, if he came up with a doctrine, then, in fact, that if the doctrine is sound and it's biblically okay, it doesn't matter what kind of a person he was. Everybody knows me before I became a Christian would say, wow, you know what I mean? Source fallacy. It makes no difference. What matters is being in Christ. Secondly, John Darby did not invent dispensationalism. Guess who did? God did. And guess who wrote it for us? Paul. Paul wrote us about the rapture. He wrote us about these issues. So this is from the mind of God. Paul is, I would say, the first true dispensationalist. He understood that God was working in a certain way. Israel was temporarily out. He probably had all of this information in his head, but never processed it. 
It is not John Darby who invented the rapture. It is not John Darby who uh, outlined dispensationalism. It is God. Okay? So, I wanted to get that out of the way. We have now something going on. In between, let me, let, let me erase this, and then I'm going to take you on a timeline of the Bible. Okay? We've got innocence, and then we've got conscience, and then we've got government, and then we've got law, promise, promise, and then we've got law, and then we've got grace, and then we've got the millennium. Something happens after grace and before the millennia, though, called the tribulation period. All right? Now, here's what's going on. Innocence, conscience, government, promise, and law, all were written under what dispensation? All of them were written under the dispensation of the law. Okay? All of them. They were all written under the law. We have a very small section of redemptive history which was written by a man named Paul. Okay? And he wrote to the sons of Japheth. Japheth. So this is Shem. The millennial reign is Shem. Right here you've got Japheth. Every one of the letters that he writes, Romans, Galatians, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, um, Philemon, and I'm missing one or two, Thessalonians, okay, Timothy, Titus, all right? They're all being written about the Gentile-led church age, which is major, uh, um, in the majority, led by sons of Japheth. Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. You have the tent of the law. You have the tent of the millennium, which is the, I'll explain that in a couple minutes. I won't get into it, what I'm going to call it. But right here, you have Japheth dwelling in the tents of Shem. The prophecy of Noah stands right here. But we have a few things going on within here. We have, I'm going to break this down now. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? And then you get into the book of Acts. And then you get into Paul, which is Romans through Philemon, okay? Now, we're going to just say this is all the Old Testament with an X right here, okay? And then from Philemon, the first book after Philemon is what? Hebrews. Hebrews. Oh, my gosh. Who is that written to? Hebrews. Oh, the Hebrews. Is that right? Oh, oh, it's written to the Hebrews. And then after that comes the book of James. Who is James written to? The Jewish people, the 12 tribes scattered abroad, right? It's right in the title. And then after that, you get uh, the John, or wait, is it John? Peter. And then John, you got Peter, one and two. So we'll say Peter times two. Okay. Who is Peter written to? Same thing, the Hebrew people, the Jews, the pilgrims of the dispersion. And guess what? Peter speaks of Paul, and he says the letter that he wrote to you, right? He confirms that uh, uh, Paul is inspired by God. He's not to be rejected. He says that his letters are the same as all scripture. Anyway, after that, then we have John, and we have John 1, 2, and 3, and then Jude, and then Revelation. I know this is getting a little jumbled, but just kind of put it in your head. Okay, now... We've got something going on here. We've got the law, and then we have three Gospels, which are known with an S, ends with enoptic. Anybody? Synoptic Gospels. Very good. Three of them. I want you to understand something. These are written about Jesus' fulfilling of the law. Not one word, not one word that was said in these three books was to the church. 
All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is useful for instruction and training of righteousness that the man of God may be fully equipped, whatever. Okay, but not all scripture applies in the same way at the same time. We can't claim the promises of Jeremiah 30 or 31 or whatever and say, oh, it belongs to me. That was written to the Jewish people under the law. These three are explaining Jesus' fulfillment of the law. They are every... No man knows the day or hour. (laughs) That is the most misquoted verse in the entire scripture, along with judge not lest you be judged. He was speaking to Israel. He was speaking in the dispensation of the law. He had not yet fulfilled the law. He wasn't yet crucified. It is the law. Okay? This is what is going on here. Do you know how that, you want to know how that doesn't pertain to the rapture? And I know there's a lot of rapture teachers out there that will try to justify that no man knows the day or the hour belongs to the rapture, even though nothing else does, that one verse does. You want to know how that's wrong? Go to the book of 1 Corinthians and read the 15th chapter, and Paul says something. Behold, I show you a mystery. A mystery is something that is revealed for the very first time ever. As the ink flows from Paul's pen or the pen of his scribe, that mystery is being revealed, and it had never been revealed before. That has nothing to do with the rapture. Nothing in Matthew, Mark, or Luke has anything to do with the church or the rapture. Paul is the one that gave us that. Why? Because it's a part of the dispensation of grace. It has nothing to do with that. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels, Christ's fulfillment of the law showing us that. And then after that, when he's resurrected, then you can start putting yourself in there. Go and make disciples. Everybody out there doing that every day, making disciples, because he told us to. He commanded us to get baptized. He commanded us to do these things. That is something we are to do. John, however, is different. Matthew is written to the Jews. Mark is written to the Romans. Luke is written to the sons of Japheth. John It's written to everybody. John 3.16 applies to everybody. So you've got this transitional gospel. It doesn't at all resemble the synoptic gospels. It transitions into the book of Acts. And then from the book of Acts, you have 12 chapters of Peter. Says his name like 4,322 billion times. And then you have from chapter 13 through 28, you have Paul. Peter is never mentioned. Paul is mentioned, I think, three times here. Peter... Like I said, billions. Paul Peter's never mentioned in 13 through 28. Paul is mentioned like a billion times. It is showing you the transition. Every single thing that Peter did, Paul did. A person dies, Tabitha. A person dies, uh, Eutychus. And what's his name? Peter resurrects Tabitha. Paul resurrects Eutychus. Okay. One of them says, silver and gold, I do not have. Peter says, I did not covet anybody's silver and gold. You can go through there. I have a list of them. If you want them, I'll email them to you. Like 25 parallels of what Peter did, of what is repeated by Paul. Again and again and again. It starts where? Where does the book of uh, Acts begin? Begins with a J and ends with a Jerusalem. Anybody? Jerusalem. Thank you. Where does it end? Rome. It goes from Jew to Gentile. It goes from Jerusalem to Rome. It goes just as the Bible is. It's going from, you've got this transitional gospel, John, and then you get into Acts. The transition is being made. My people have rejected me. Wait until you get to the Day of Atonement. All right, you'll see it very clearly. Watch that sermon. I am now going to do something different. And Peter is given the keys to show that the Gentiles are now grafted in, and then he disappears from the scene. And it goes from Peter to Paul. It goes 
All of this is Paul, right? Romans through Philemon. Romans is where the book of Acts ends. It's making a pattern of what Noah said 6,500 or 5,500 years ago. But no, it was 1656 from 6,000. Anyway, 4,500 years ago, we'll say. He said it a long time ago, and this is being fulfilled. After that, guess what happens? These books here are written specifically to the Hebrews. And if you read them with this in mind, now that I'm going to tell you this, they will make all the sense in the world to you. This is not only written to the Hebrew people, they're written to the Hebrews of the end times. The church age ends, and now this is for these Jews that are left behind so that they understand the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible is giving us a snapshot of all of redemptive history. And then you come up with the books of John. Once again, same as his gospel, written to everybody. Something wonderful is coming. Something marvelous is coming. And Jude finishes up like John, going to everybody, contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. All of this is being shown us in this. And then guess what? We come up with the book of Revelation. I'm going to have to write it up here. And we have Revelation doing the same pattern. Revelation 1 through 4, verse 1, is written to who? Church. The church. And then from 4-2 until 19-10, the church is never mentioned again. Why? Because the Bible has shown us the pattern from the hand of Noah, or from the mouth of Noah, recorded by Moses. You have the tribulation period. And then from 1910, 11, we come back with Christ, and that is when the millennium begins, and then we go on to eternity. All of this is shown in the structure of the Bible. Now, I know this is all hodgepodge, and I've skipped over way too much because we're starting to get long, I think, but I will give you a couple hints about the tribulation period. We have seven dispensations, which I've erased, so you have to remember them. Innocence, conscience, government, promise, law, and then grace, and then millennium, Okay. In the tribulation period, we have certain things going on. This is all given to us, step by step, to show us that God, we need God. That's what each one of these. God gives us one promise. It's a negative promise. And guess what happens? We blow it. We need grace. He gives us conscience. We blow it. We need grace. He gives us some government. We blow it. We need grace. He gives us the promise. They are waiting for it still. Anyway, I didn't tie this in together very well because while the promise is going on, the rest of the world is still under government. It goes all the way over because the Gentiles haven't been brought in. They're under government, and so the world is still under government to this day. It's all pictured in the form of the Bible, but I, I won't get into it because it's a little long. You're getting a picture that dispensations are not to be mixed. We are not to take and say that no man knows the day and the hour because you're mixing dispensations. Do not take Jesus' words of Matthew, Mark, or Luke and insert them into your New Testament theology. Because if you do, you're taking Old Testament theology. He's fulfilling the law. He's showing them their desperate need for Christ. And you're mixing dispensations. Behold, I show you a mystery means that it was revealed for the very first time. Don't mix dispensations because if you do, your theology will be confused. Okay, so in the tribulation period... We had innocence was a dispensation. Guess what? All people will be deceived, right? God will send them a delusion. The world is under a great delusion. Innocence is proven not to work in the tribulation period. What is the tribulation period for? It's God saying, go ahead. Do it your own way. 
I've given you all of these dispensations to work it out. And guess what? This is all reflected in the life of Jacob, too. If you listen to the Genesis sermons in Jacob's life, when he's going back to meet his brother Esau, he sends gifts to his brother, right? Mm -hmm. It's picturing the dispensations. Those gifts that he's sending him are picturing the dispensations of time. And guess what? It keeps saying, Jacob is coming. Jacob is coming. Well, who is Jacob picturing? Christ. Jacob is coming. Jesus is coming. It's all pictured in the Old Testament, story by story by story, to lead us to what's going on right here. Okay? You have the next one. is conscience. In the millennium, man is corrupt in his mind, and God's word is corrupted by man. Okay? Conscience fails in the millennium. Go ahead. Have it your own way. See if you can do it without me. The next one is uh, government. The whole world is under who? The Antichrist. They blow it under him. We know he's the son of perdition. You know how I know that? I typed that devotional today. It'll be out in 10 days, coming soon to a devotional near you, if you read your Bible and then read the the Bible studies I do, okay? So, the whole world is under the sway of the Antichrist. Then you have the uh, dispensation of promise, okay? Israel is where in the tribulation period? They're in Israel. That's right. But they are in unbelief. Two-thirds of them are going to die, according to the Mm. book of Zechariah. They didn't work it out very well, did they? Without God in the picture, it doesn't work very well. Mm. Next dispensation is the dispensation of the law. The temple is going to be rebuilt, isn't it? We all know it is. Mm -hmm. You can't measure a symbolic temple. It says, go and measure the temple of God in the book of Revelation chapter 11. You can't measure a symbolic temple. There's going to be a real temple, and it's really going to be built. But they're going to ignore Christ, and it is going to be given over to false worship. It didn't work out so well for you, did it, people? God is saying, you need me. You need me, and all I want you to do is believe. I just want you to believe, and I will give you my grace. It is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is you work for it. No, it's the gift of God. And not of works, lest any man help me boast. Thank you. Any man should boast. And then we have, of course, the dispensation of grace. The church is what during the tribulation period? Completely, well, the true church is gone, but the false church is here. And it is completely apostate. There's no grace at all. It is solely by works. So you see what's going on? God is showing us, I'm going to let you have it your own way, and the world is going to destroy itself. This isn't God destroying the world. The symbolism of Revelation shows us that it is, but he's just saying, go ahead, do it. Do it, and you will destroy yourselves, and they are going to. They're going to put their allegiance behind somebody that's not Christ, and they're going to follow him right into the gates of hell itself, and they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Very few are going to come out. If you take the mark of the beast, you are done. You are not to take the mark of the beast, but this doesn't apply to Christians. If you've called on Jesus, you will never have to face that. Anybody that says that... Christians are going to enter into the tribulation period means that we now have to work in order to be saved because we've already been saved by grace through faith. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. If we are sealed and we are not taken out when the Holy Spirit is taken out, which is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, coming soon to a devotional near you, that it was one, a very crummy guarantee, and two, God made a mistake sealing you in the first place. Impossible. Okay? So, then we come to the millennium. That has a purpose as well. Innocence. The dispensation of innocence, God's universal truth, will be known by all people. All people. So you have the contrast. Complete corruption of mind, complete... The knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, it says. It will be known. 
Okay? And then we have conscience. God's people will have his law written on their hearts. That's Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, I think. Hang on. Hang on. Isaiah, Jeremiah. I hope I am, because if not, I'm wasting your time. 31. <laughs> Hang on. 31. 30. But this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Are they the people of God now? No. By promise, yes. By actuality, no. The church is the people of God right now, but they will be, and it's promised right there in the Word, and it cannot fail, okay? And then we have, of course, government. Christ will rule from where during the tribulation period? The millennium. From Jerusalem. For a thousand years, he will reign from David's throne literally and completely. The structure of the Bible from the time of Noah shows us this, okay? Then we have another one, the law. Is the law in effect, because if you're a Hebrew Roots Movement person, you're going to answer yes to this. Is the law in effect during the millennium? No. The temple worship is in commemoration of Christ's work. Not looking forward to it. Christ fulfilled the law. It says in the book of Hebrews, countless times, we say it before every sermon, the law is obsolete, it is annulled, it is set aside, it is passing away, it is insufficient to do anything except cause more grief. It goes on and on in the book of Hebrews saying this. The law cannot save diddly. Diddly. Colossians 2.14, he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. The symbolism is that Christ is the embodiment of the law of Moses. He fulfilled it right here, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then he went to the cross and he died, and because of that, the law died with him. The only thing laws that we are obligated to are not of the old covenant, they are of the new covenant. If it is said in the New Testament don't do this thing or do this thing that is what we are to do. Everybody got that? Stay away from the Hebrew roots movement because it will condemn you. Unless you're saved already, it'll steal your joy. But if you're not saved, you'll never come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Stay away from that. All right. And then we have the dispensation of grace reflected in the millennium. And what is that? The bride of Christ is with him in his glory. Okay? The dispensations of time. All right? As I said earlier, and I said I was going to repeat it again, all dispensations are by grace through faith. Works are completely excluded from being in fellowship with God. If you try to work in any way to be pleasing to God, you have fallen from grace, and Paul says you are a debtor to the whole law. Be circumcised, don't eat pork, any of those things that you do. In order to be pleasing to God, you have fallen from grace. You are a debtor to the whole law. So stay away from that, okay? Now, I'm going to take us back to the pulpit. A couple more things before we finish up the prophecy update is that um, uh, next week, next week will be our 200th prophecy update. That will be on what day? Today is the 17th, 7 plus the 24th. The 24th is our next update. I want to tell you something. The 23rd will come and it will go and the rapture will not happen on it. And I am once again willing to bet any person this. I will bet you $1,000 that the rapture will not happen next Saturday. If you want to make the bet, contact me. We can put the money in a safe bank and then whoever wins that bet will get the money. Okay? I will bet anybody that. Secondly, that made Fox News today. And it is once again a disgrace to Christianity that we are doing this. 
It is a disgrace because they said, yeah, the, the Christians say it's the end of the world and blah, 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 blah. And so I want you to know that if you are caught up in this 23 September thing, you need to drop it. Because next Sunday, we're going to have our 200th prophecy update, and we will be here. Unless the Lord comes between now and the 22nd, or he comes after the 23rd. But he ain't coming on the 23rd. He's not going to be outdone by smart guys. And I will say this. If anybody ever sends me another prediction on a rapture, ever, you're not getting a response. And if you're a friend on Facebook, you will be deleted. We do not predict what the Lord has reserved for himself. He tells us not to do it. He explicitly says in Acts chapter 1 not to do it. And Paul repeats the exact same words in 2 Thessalonians. We are to do our business as Christians. Tell people about Jesus. Not spend, literally, by now there are millions of hours that have been wasted on that stupid 23 September video. Millions of hours that people could have been out telling people about Jesus Christ, handing tracts to people instead of sitting in front of a computer watching something that is not going to come to pass. And I have $1,000 to bet any person on that, okay? So keep that in mind. I uh, am very, very hopeful that you will share this video on dispensationalism so that people understand that the structure of the Bible itself gives you the outline and that we are never to mix dispensations, Never. We do not mix what Jesus said. That doesn't mean that Jesus' words are not profitable for us. I am not saying that. Anybody that says that Charlie Garrett said that, that's not true. All scripture is God-breathed. We have been in the Torah now for five years, and we're halfway through Leviticus. But it points to Christ. Thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures of Christ. Every single sermon we do are pictures of Christ. They're not about the rapture. Some of them are about the rapture, but they're not pinpointing the days. We are to look for Christ, and we are to tell people about Christ. That is our job in this dispensation. Don't mix dispensations. Don't quote things from other dispensations about this dispensation. If you want to know what Matthew 24 is written for, it is a parallel of what is going on in the millennium. You look at what he says there, and you read the book of Revelation, and the same things are happening. It is all I'm sorry, I said the millennium, tribulation period. It is all reflective of the tribulation period in anticipation of the millennial reign of Christ, okay? That is where that belongs. Do not mix your dispensations because your theology will be wacky, okay? So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This wonderful church is the superior word, and that is your prophecy update for the week.